so today we're starting, like, like we're, 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 we're going to talk about this idea that we've been kind of pouring out over the last four or five weeks on being overwhelmed. And we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna challenge ourselves to think deeply about a concept. And I want you to prepare yourself. If you get your message notes out, this is really important. I want you to write some notes. Uh, it's really important that you write stuff down. I, I don't think because my words are so significant, but I think God often speaks to us while the word is being shared. And I want you to get that. And so today we're wrapping up this series on overwhelmed. And we've talked about anxiety. We've talked about depression. We've talked about stress. And we've, and we really had a mental health expert kind of give us perspective on these subjects. I don't know if you were here last week, he was by simulcast and uh, he taught us, you know, some really cool things about the brain. If you remember this, you, you know, you can, your amygdala's right here and then it gets triggered and then you flip your lid. You remember that? Yes. Good. And so there's great, great insight. And then, um, you know, I think he also taught us how to talk really soothingly, how to help people feel comfortable. That's not me, though. So um, <clears throat> if you missed any of these weeks, I want you to go to the podcast and catch up because they're really good uh, things that were shared in this series. And uh, listen, I'm fully aware that we're not we're not we're not going to be able to fix everybody's issues. We're not going to be able to work through every struggle or resolve them in this in a, in a short series of messages. But here's what I want to do. I want to make it OK to not be OK in this place. Like I want there, I want to make sure we make this a safe place for people who are wrestling with their own fears and their own struggle. And I want us to care for one another in a way that shares the love of Jesus. Because if the good news of Jesus is anything, it is the invitation to be fully known and fully loved deeply. And, and our Savior loves us deeply, and we need to be secure in that. But he, he demonstrated his love on a cross where he gave his body. His body was broken for you and for me. And then he puts us in a body, albeit a broken body, where we live in community. And we, we allow each other to, to help us as we're going on this journey and so more than anything, I want you to connect with each other. I want you to connect with one of the small groups that are in this uh, handout right here. You can see it on the back side. And there's small groups all over the place because that community is so important. And so today, we're going to talk about something that's been called the dark night of the soul. The dark night of the soul. Sounds ominous. Some of you are thinking about Christopher Nolan movies right now. But no, this is not about Batman the dark night. This is about an experience. It's about a phrase that is not necessarily in the scriptures by the exact title, but over and over again, we see this experience played out in the Bible characters as we read it. And so this is a, an experience that has been discussed and written about by theologians for centuries. And the most famous was 16th century Spanish friar, priest, and poet, St. John of the Cross. He, he was kind of, he made the phrase, 
famous. So you might, it might be a little bit uh, confusing to you, or you, you might not, you know, like have ever experienced something but like this. But I think we need to talk about things like this in a, in a series where we're, we're, we're realizing that as God's people, we're on this journey with him. And it has peaks and it has valleys. And we need to be sure that God is with us through it all. So turn your Bibles to Psalm 42, 1 through 11. And let's pray before we read the scriptures. Father, we just open our hearts to you and we allow the scriptures to shine The light of your spirit just coming into our lives. No dark corners, everything on display. And we choose to respond to you. And we ask you to lead us and guide us and give us grace to obey. In Jesus' name, amen. Psalm 42, verse 1, it says, As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God My tears have been my food day and night, while people say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet Praise him, my savior and my God. My soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mazar. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day, the Lord directs his love. At night, his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Have you ever felt like this? You're surrounded by a bunch of people and they're all experiencing God, connecting with him. They're worshiping and praying and maybe swaying and some are smiling and some are weeping and it's like God is right there with them and you're watching it all happen and they're like tangibly feeling him and you... You got nothing. You ever had that experience? I have. In fact, when you think about God, sometimes that experience is more like just staring at a blank screen. When you look up to him, it feels like there's some kind of wall between you and heaven, like your prayers just hit the ceiling and bounce back to you. When you look into your soul, there's nothing there except an empty wasteland and you don't feel God's presence at all. So you feel like maybe you're just crazy or maybe not a very good Christian. Is it me, you ask? Is it, is it my personality type? Is it my Enneagram number? 
Is it my Myers-Briggs profile? Is this sin? Is something blocking me? Do I, do I just not read the Bible and pray enough so that God is punishing me? I guess maybe I'm just not as godly as everybody around me. Maybe, maybe this just isn't for me. Or worse than that, is God doing this to me? Is he mean and spiteful? I thought he was supposed to be loving and compassionate. Or maybe he's not even real. Maybe I'm making all this stuff up in my head, in a figment of my imagination. Because this feels more like absence than presence. After a while, you feel overwhelmed. And you might think you're the only one experiencing this. What I want you to know today is you're not the only one. And even though you feel like something is wrong, your current condition could actually be a vital stage in your life and spiritual journey. Some theologians think all of us have to go through an experience like this at one point or another. And it could be that you're experiencing what's called... The dark night. Now, I'm no expert at this. I'm going to lean heavily on some other experts. One of them is Pastor John Mark Comer. He's an amazing author and theologian. Now, that's not to say, this is, I'm saying all this, not to say that the dark night is the only reason that you're not connecting. or Because there are all kinds of reasons why we don't feel God's presence. And I just want to address a couple of them before we move on. And so why don't I feel God's presence? Well, sometimes it's because of hurry, busyness, and digital distraction. Those are your first fill-in-the-blank in your message notes. Hurry, busyness, digital distraction. For many of us, the problem is not that God is absent. It's that we are absent. We are consumed. We're browsing social media. We're on our phones. We're drowning in our Netflix queue. Like we're stuck in traffic on 620 or Mopac or 290 forever. We're overwhelmed at work. We're busy, busy all the time. And, when, and here's the thing. When we slow down long enough, like to... To put our phones down, maybe to pray, maybe to show up for church. Our minds are still racing. Our minds are still moving at this frenetic pace. And we can't seem to quiet it a lot of times. Hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life in our day, Dallas Willard said. I think this is so true because I think hurry is the number one enemy of the felt presence of God. Not the presence of God, but the felt right. presence of God. The experienced presence of God. We're moving too fast to notice him. And we wonder where he is. Now, that's a big subject in teaching for another day. Another reason we don't feel the presence of God is sin. And that's not something we would normally say in our Maybe modern day Austin language, we don't use that word too much, but it is in New Testament language. Matthew 5, 8 says, blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. And you could reverse engineer this verse and it would say, unhappy are the impure in heart for they will not 
see God. Now, of course, Jesus didn't actually say that, right? Like, like, like he's, he's, he's saying something really profound about what he wants, but this idea, this idea runs through the entire Bible on some level. There's a, there's some kind of reciprocal relationship between our experiences with the felt presence of God and whether we honor or dishonor God with our mind and body. And so I think this is the key. When we persist in sin, I think something happens to us. We begin to forego the sense of God's felt presence in our lives. And so, and, 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 and it's, this is the part that we kind of mean when we talk about how sin begins to separate us from God. And so that's a big subject for another day. But there's another reason why I don't feel God or his presence. And that's what I want to talk about. It's the description from this psalm we just read. Maybe you can identify it with it. We'll look at it just with a couple of verses here. 42 verse 1, it says, As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you. My God, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Now, this psalm was the inspiration for a really amazing song back in the 70s and 80s. It was called, As the Deer. You ever sang that song? As the deer panteth for... The water, so my soul longeth after thee. Some of you are like, what are you saying? I especially like that word longeth. Like singing the King James English, I don't know. That's just kind of weird. Well, there's a few, you don't know the song, um, but you also are like, wow, the pastor can sing. That's like, what is that? Here's the thing that you have to understand. When, when we sing that verse, I mean, it's, there's nothing wrong with singing it and saying it because it's like, God, I thirst for you. I desire for you. I believe that. That desire is a good thing. But that's not quite the imagery that's in this psalm. Because the imagery is of a deer in a desert who is dying of thirst. Yeah. A deer in a desert who's dying of thirst and it comes to the river to get a drink and it's dry. It's bone dry. There's nothing there. So in this psalm... Thirst is a bad thing. It's not good. In fact, often in the Bible, you see thirst is not a good thing. Because in, in, the, in the days of the Bible, getting water was hard work. You didn't have it running out of the tap. You had to carry it and you had to work on it and, it, and getting water that wasn't contaminated. So, so thirst was a deal. And so it's not good. It's something we don't want. And here's what I want you to understand today. Out of Psalm 42, we all have... Psalm 42 seasons in our life, in our life with God, in our spiritual journey. And if you haven't had a season like this, just wait, you will. It's a feeling of living in a desert, like full time, like it's my home. That's all there is. We thirst for God. We desire the presence of God. But when we go to the river we show up for church, when we open our Bibles, when we come to prayer, when we show up in our small group or we go to Catalyst, it's just bone dry. We, far, we feel far more absent from God than present. But like the psalmist said, we do remember past seasons. Like I remember stuff. Look at verse four. These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go out to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. Fun words to know and say. Festive throng. 
I remember when I came to church and this happened. You like, I remember when I came to, to, when I came to this moment and I was reading the Bible and this happened. I remember being a group and God touched me. I remember at the catalyst retreat, it was awesome. But now I just don't feel anything. Now I just feel far away and distant from God. Verse 6 says, from the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon. Now, the original audience for this psalm would have known the geography of Israel and that, that that's as far away as you can get from the temple, from God's presence, is, is what the psalmist was naming. He's saying, this is as far away as you can get from God's presence and still be an Israelite. That's how the psalmist felt. And for some of you, that's exactly how you felt or you feel. You feel sad. Verse 6 says, my soul is downcast within me. You might feel anxious. Verse 5, why so disturbed within me? You feel like God is forsaking you. Twice the psalmist says, once in verse 9, he says, why have you forgotten me? In other words, this whole thing is a colossal waste of time. You start thinking to yourself, but, but what if I told you What if I said it might be that God has you right where he wants you? That this could be one of the best and most important seasons you've ever had in your life. Anything you've ever been through that God is doing something deep. It's true. This, This is a stage that any of us who take our journey with Jesus seriously, we are going to have to go through something like this. We will end up visiting this kind of journey at some point in our lives. And so you've either been through it, you're currently in it, or you will go through it. But I want to talk about what the dark, the dark night of the soul actually is. Because basically it is a season. A season in your journey with God where he... And this is, this is really a challenge for some. Where he intentionally removes the felt sense of his presence... I don't mean that he removes his actual presence. His promise to us is that he will never leave us or forsake us. So it's not that his actual presence is gone. It's his felt, this felt sense of his presence. In dark night, God does this in order to do a purging, a work in us, a preparation in us so that we might experience greater levels of intimacy, of freedom, of peace, and of love. So when you're in the dark night of your soul, it's as much a season of unlearning as it is learning. Now, I do think this is hard to describe, and that's because it's dark. Hence the name, the dark night of the soul, right? So it's like trying to describe a new landscape that you're in, in the dead of night. You can't see it or comprehend it until the moment the sun comes up. And then what happens? In the dark night of the soul, you realize things are not as they seem. In fact, oftentimes they're the exact opposite of what your internal emotional sense is. I want to give you four examples of this kind of way of understanding it, what it might feel like to you in the dark night, but in reality, to see that God is up to something. Okay, so number one, it feels like I'm losing God's presence, but God is actually deepening my intimacy with him. So you're feeling like you're farther from God, not closer to him, but that's often because early on in our experience with God, we equate our feelings of God with God himself. 
Are you following me? The feelings you have when you first became a Christian. I'm so excited. This is so awesome. This is incredible. You kind of get used to that. And we start to equate the feelings of God with God himself. When in reality, our feelings aren't really much more than messengers from God's spirit. This is why so many people get stuck in spiritual immaturity. They get addicted to the feelings. But there's an immaturity in that. They think that worshiping, they think that, that they're worshiping God, but sometimes they're worshiping the feelings that come from God or that they get from God. So you've heard people say like, man, I got I to gotta go get some worship to get this stuff off me. I got to go get something. I, I, I need the worship feels. You're like driving to church Sunday morning. Man, I hope they sing my favorite song. <laughs> and then you get there. Nope. <laughs> They're singing some song you've never heard before. So you just stand there. This is stupid. <laughs> Sorry, was that too honest? So here's the thing. So to mature us, to get us more mature, God wants to teach us to walk by faith. He's teaching us to walk by faith, not by feelings. 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says, for we walk by faith and not by sight. 2 Corinthians 4, 18 says, so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. And what's the best way to do that kind of thing, to make that switch? Well, I think often there's a withholding of the feelings for a season of time to see what we'll do. To see how we'll react. Do we run back to the stuff of the world to help us feel good? Do we run back to the sinful patterns we've had in our lives to feel good? Do we stay in it? Just waiting on and trusting in God regardless of our feelings. When Amy and I were dating 28 years ago, it was a beautiful thing. We never ran out of words to say. I remember we talked the entire time on our first date. It was like we had words for days. Like I just would think about getting with her. It would make me kind of nervous and excited. I was like, oh, we're having a date. This is going to be awesome. I could talk to her for hours and hours and hours. 28 years later, it's not always like that. Come on, you know what I'm talking about. We Listen, we still love to be together. Like, I like to be with her. And, and, and there's, a, there's a, a wonderful a bunch of things we need to talk about. We got five kids. But because of that, sometimes we just want to be quiet with each other. We do run out of words. We run out of words. Maybe I should say, I run out of words to say. You know what I'm talking about, men? There's a thing here, and I got a lot of words. She's sitting on the front row saying, that ain't true. So we'll sit together and we'll, you know, watch Netflix and we'll make a grocery list. We'll, we, we, still, we still have feelings for each other. But now they're not emotional highs. They're not these emotional highs now because now the level of vulnerability and Intimacy is so much deeper than 28 years ago. And we know, like, we know the very worst about each other, and we're still together. 
Like there's something profound about that. It's a different but deeper relationship than when we were first dating. Like I love this woman with my whole heart and soul. There is no one I'd rather be with in my life. It, I would call it true love. True love. Because it doesn't have anything to do really with feelings. I have some feelings, but something has gone deeper in our relationship. It's beyond just physical intimacy. There's something in our soul that we know about each other. In the same way, even though it doesn't feel like it, God is actually... When you go through a season like that, deepening our relationship with him through the dark night of the soul. In fact, the, this may be one of the most important ideas about what God is teaching us. And it is that our feelings are not always an accurate barometer of our reality. Your feelings may not actually be telling you the truth. They may not be the right barometer of the reality. I want you to remember this. It's in your message notes. For the Christian, feelings follow. They never lead. For the Christian, feelings follow. They never lead. They actually lie to you most of the time. Like there's a, there's, there's, there's a, there's a, there's a, a war that goes on inside of us because of our feelings. And in our culture, there is this concept that you've got to look way deep down within to get the truth. Sometimes that's the most dangerous thing you could do because <laughs> there's a, all kinds of messed up stuff down in there, right? And so what God says is reliable. What the scripture says is reliable. What God is doing in your life is reliable, but your feelings may not lead you to understand the actual reality of what's going on around you. Number two, it feels like I'm losing my faith but God is ref refining my faith. In the dark night, there's this sense of loss, like I'm losing something. But what's happening is there's a refining. There's, a, there's a, this deepening, this peeling back of the layers. And in the same way that we confuse our feelings of God with God, sometimes we confuse our ideas about God with God, with who he really is. And we have all, we all, listen, we all have great ideas about God that are right. And we have some ideas that aren't right about God. And you've got to understand that. And some of that's from your history. Some of that's from your father figures. Some of that is just from hurts and wounds in your past. So what the dark night of the soul does is a time of refining, stripping down, stripping away, not just of our feelings, but also our ideas about who we've made God into. You can see a great example of this in Exodus 32 when God's people, the Israelites, ended up getting discouraged with where Moses was. And they threw, they put together all this gold. Aaron took it and Aaron, Aaron formed a golden calf. And what Aaron said to all those people is, behold, the God who delivered you from Egypt. What? That's a gold calf. That just, that's not the God... What, what was happening is they were making God in their own image that they were comfortable with. They weren't comfortable with the God image of blazing fire and smoke on the mountain where Moses was. They wanted to make it into their own image that they were comfortable with. They'd been in Egypt all these hundreds of years, and that's what they were comfortable seeing. 
and understanding. I think the same thing happens to us sometimes. But the end goal of the dark night of the soul is not just doctrine. It's not right doctrine. The end goal is a heart of a heart full of trust, a posture, if you will, of, of relinquishing those ideas to God himself. He's not only interested in us letting go of our feelings, but also our ideas, our ideology about God, because he's interested in a relationship, not just doctrine. And he wants that relationship to grow deeper and deeper all of your life. And make no mistake, there's more to go for you. Doesn't matter how long you've been following Jesus. There's more that God wants to do. Number three, it feels like I'm regressing in spiritual maturity, but I'm, I am progressing in spiritual maturity. There's something about the dark night of the soul that causes us to be more aware of who we really are, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Before we may have been aware of our behavior, but now we become hyper aware of our motivations, like what's behind the behaviors. Listen, God did not send Jesus here for your behavior modification. That is not the point. Right? Like there's something deeper that God is, is drilling down on. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount is drilling down on it. It's the motivation behind your behavior. It's like a, a filter gets removed in the dark night of the soul and we see ourselves exactly for who we are. And I want you to think about this. What if God is graciously taking us through a season where he is exposing our sin? So he can see, so that we can see our emptiness apart from him. Like we could see our emptiness without him and then we realize we can't save ourselves. So much of the dark night of the soul is about a burning away of those things that we, we have in our lives that limit us from walking in the full purpose that God has for us. And creating a greater capacity like God's trying to stretch us in great, greater capacity to become the person that he's always intended for you to be. The dark night of the soul is God's way of getting you ready for the next stage of your journey with Jesus. Number four, it feels like sadness and anxiety, but God is setting me free from attachments and anxieties. God is working so we can actually live in more of his joy and peace. And one of the hardest things we have to do in our journey with God is to release the illusion of control. Like we have to release that to God, to let go of all of our attachments. That's a good word. Everybody say it. Attachments. Attachments. Listen, you, you love your attachments. We all love our attachments. They're the things that make us feel safe. They're the things we think we need in order to live a happy life. Jesus' longest recorded teaching in the Bible is called the Sermon on the Mount. And it's made up of 14 teachings. And in chapter 6, it's the longest one. And it's all about how, now get this, it's all about how to live a non-anxious life. Like, it's all about that. In it, Jesus, now this, this is key. He ties our anxieties to our attachments. He says our anxieties are about our attachments. And, and, and in his language, he says our worry to what we worship. Whatever, whatever the, the, the worry messes with your worship. And so Matthew 6, 25, 24 and 25 says, you cannot serve both God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. Worship God, don't worship money. Worshiping money will make you anxious. 
nervous. Worshiping God will give you strength and peace. See, he ties the two together. Gerald May, American psychologist and theologian, defines the dark night of the soul as an ongoing spiritual process in which we are liberated from attachments and compulsions and empowered to live and to love more freely. There's something about the dark night of the soul where you lose control, and and this does a deep work of freedom inside of your life. You lose control, and by losing control, what I mean is you lose the formulas. Everybody say formulas. Formulas we've used to experience God, they start breaking down. Your favorite song doesn't work anymore. I used to feel really awesome on that song. It's just so easy for us to put our relationship with Jesus into a formula. If I do this, then I do this, and we live, then we live by that. If, if I can just crack the code of what Jesus is trying to do, then I can feel better. I'll get the miracle I'm looking for. If I can just do enough stuff, do the right things, then I'll have the relationship with God. Listen, don't, don't buy into that. Don't buy into any of that. That's a televangelist hawking his wares and trying to get you to buy something because so God can do something in your life. Nothing could be further from the gospel truth. But something happens in the dark night where you do all the right formulas and it doesn't produce like it used to. What you think should happen. And so we start to realize, oh, I'm not in control. I'm not in control of this at all. I'm not in control of my relationship with God. I'm not, in, I'm not in control of my own spiritual formation. I'm not in control to save myself. I can't do enough spiritual disciplines to get myself out of this. I can't force God. So what happens? What should we do? We should let go. Let it go. Let it go. It's extremely difficult and full of anxiety at first because you're like, ah, but it becomes incredibly liberating when you do it. It creates this calming and peaceful depth to our soul. I don't know if you've noticed it, but think about older, wiser believers who have walked with Jesus for a really long time. They've kind of settled this. They're full of peace. They're full of joy. They're full of patience. They're, they're, they're full of calm. Do you want that? I want that. People, people don't become like that just by getting old. Sometimes they just get old. Yeah. And they get grumpy. And they're mean. And they're always angry at somebody. You've got to surrender to a process where you discover these things. And if you don't hear anything else today, I want you to hear this. If you feel like this, you're not alone. If you feel like this, you don't have to hide. You don't have to pretend. It's very possible that God is at work in your life and he's working to grow and mature you into greater freedom and love and joy and peace. And your role is just to cooperate with him. Like just, just go with him instead of fighting against him. Now, how do we do that? How do we do that? Just three, just three ideas, all right? We're going to talk more about this practical way to respond to the dark night of the soul in our overwhelmed groups this week. But here it is. Rest. Rest. Wait patiently. Don't try harder. Sometimes you're like, I got to try harder. It's not laziness that's your problem in the dark night of the soul. God is working. In fact, if I could just pause here and say this. If you look through what Jesus said about God, if you look through how he talks about work, like Jesus said it himself, he says in the Gospels, my father is always working. And I too am working. 
And that's why he could say to his disciples, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. If you believe that Jesus is always working, you don't have to work so hard. You don't have to produce it all on your own. It doesn't mean you're not a good steward. It doesn't mean you don't have a, hard, a, a good work ethic. You need those things. Those are things we need to, to have good character and be responsible. But rest, Sabbath, sleep. Some of you just need to sleep. You're not sleeping enough. And it's causing you anxiety. It's causing some things in your life. And you, you need to just sleep and be still and know that he is God. Here's another thing. Don't doubt in the desert what God said in the river. That's a great phrase. Don't doubt in the, in the desert what God said in the river. In the gospel story, Jesus is baptized by, by uh, uh, the John the Baptist. And he, and he comes up out of the water. And there's this voice from heaven that says, you are, This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And you know what happens right after that? The Bible records he is sent into the desert to be tempted by the devil. Matthew records it in in chapter 4. He said, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tested by the devil. Now, I want you to see that the enemy tried to get him in the three temptations to doubt what God had already said about him. In that baptism, he said, you're my son. I love you, and I'm pleased with you. Hey, notice, Jesus hadn't done any miracles yet that we know of. Okay. He hadn't done, he hadn't, he hadn't embarked on his three years of ministry. God was already saying, you are my son and I love you and I'm pleased with you. See, what the devil tries to do to you and me, he tries to get us to question if the Bible's even true, if God is even real. He's, oh, he's, you think he said this about you, but it's not true. You got all this junk that you've dragged around in your history and you're always going to drag it around. It's a lie. It's a lie. He wants to sow seeds of doubt. Many people lose their faith in their dark night. I've seen them. I've talked to them. Part of the reason is they live on something in the past rather than something that they, they, they can't feel anything. They, they can't figure out how to deal with their past or bring their past forward like they want to if it's a good memory. And they don't know how to live on faith for their future. The third idea is living in community. Living in community. The enemy's plan is to try to isolate you, try to get you alienated, either away from your community or just going inward. Like we need to rely on one another in our faith and our fidelity. You avoid church. You say, I'll just listen to the podcast or I'll just stay home and listen to Facebook Live. Don't do it, friends. You got to gather with a believers this week in your overwhelmed group you'll talk more about those kinds of things how we can live in community and do a better job with people who are going through a dark night of the soul my experience in the dark night of the soul was in 2017 and i was really kind of i'd been through a long season of struggle a lot of pain and disappointment in my own life in the church in what i felt like God was trying to do. And I just kind of ran into this season where I just felt like I couldn't hear or see or understand. I just felt like I was alone. I had this loop in my head that just over and over again would keep me sort of bound from, from moving forward. 
it was hard to live in faith. And I, I just remember it. And, and, and I remember it was in that year that I, I said to the other guys on my team, I said, I think I, think I need to take a sabbatical. I just, need, I just need time to sort of process it. And the church was so gracious. And I, I could go for eight weeks. And I could just, I, I could just settle. And, and, and the other guys stepped up and led. And it was awesome. The church, the, the church did well. Um, and, but, but I remember in that eight weeks, I never really once experienced an encounter that I can remember with God. But what I remember is just giving up. Stop pressing, stop pushing. And I just gave up. And something happened to me in that eight weeks. And I've kind of not been the same since. And I think that's what God was doing in me. As we close today, I want to read an excerpt from the Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis. If you've ever read that, you know it's a brilliant book. I want the band to come up and I'm going to read this. Because if you haven't read it, it's a satire where a senior demon named Screwtape writes to an apprentice demon named Wormwood. So, yeah, so he's senior... A senior demon talking to an apprentice demon. And he's, they're writing about the enemy. They're talking about the enemy who is Jesus in the story, right? So Jesus is the enemy. So senior demon, apprentice demon, here's, here's what he says. Sooner or later, he, God, withdraws. If not in fact, at least from their conscious experience, all those supports and incentives. He leaves the creature, that's you and me, to stand up on its own legs to carry out from the will alone duties which have lost all relish. It is during such trough periods, much more than during the peak periods, that it is growing into the sort of creature he wants it to be. Hence, the prayers offered in the state of dryness are those which please him best. He, God, cannot tempt to virtue as we do to vice. He wants them to learn to walk and must therefore take away his hand. And if only the will to walk is really there, he is pleased even with their stumbles. Do not be deceived, Wormwood. Our cause is never more in danger than when a human, no longer desiring, but still intending to do our enemy's will, looks round upon a universe from which every trace of him seems to have vanished and asks why he has been forsaken and still obeys. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And in this moment, I want to I let you go to a place where you can just receive if you need to. The band's going to lead us in worship. And we're going to still take time at the end of this service to let God do something in our hearts. If you just want to sit and receive, if you want to kneel down, or if you want to raise your hands, you want to stand up, I mean, any of that's okay. The prayer team is going to be at the sides to the side of the auditorium. If you need prayer for anything and you want to get up and go to somebody so they can pray over you, I want you to take advantage of that. But I want us to pause. We so, it's so hard for us to pause. It's so hard for us to just settle and listen to what God is saying to us. So we're going to do that right now. So Father, would you speak to us? Would you reveal our hearts to us? Would you reveal your heart to us so that we can love you so that we can follow you, so that we can stir our faith.
In Jesus' name, amen.